welcome back everybody zach shu dan turbyville here powerhouse we are in fact in the house the bellagio boys are we <laughs> just is, is that a one and done thing or are we gonna i don't know i don't okay. want to perpetuate that nonsense but it is kind of cool to have like the aka yeah that, so that we we need some cool. other ones we'll so, work on it we'll all right work on it. all right we'll we'll get back with you on that yeah um so we are not live today this is a recorded episode we have a some guests here um as usual we're presented by memphis fence company uh mfc manufacturing simpalo and now um the thornton fence consulting group again i'm zach that's dan we're here um so there's no calling in obviously since it's pre-recorded uh we are actually as this, yeah as this show airs we are we'll we will be in croton Connecticut, maybe we'll be somewhere making progress that way. Well, that's right. We leave the day this airs, so we're somewhere between Memphis, Detroit. Uh, also, we're going to be in potentially Providence, Providence Rhode Island, yeah, and then Groton or Groton. We can't figure out Groton. Groton. Uh, that's that's Groton, man. <laughs> like a name of your cousin. <laughs> But it's like a terrible name of your cousin or something. I don't know. All right. My, my, yeah, my distant cousin Sheila had a baby, and they named him Groton. Yeah. So we might be able to hop on and, like, reply to any comments if you do that. No promises. I'm not sure where we'll be in our journey. But if you're going to be at the Northeast AFA trade show, come by and see us. We'll just kind of be roaming around. And the plan now is that we are going to teach a class, but we'll be we'll be around. So I've been purposing myself to learn the names of the trade shows instead of just calling them the trade show. We're the worst at that. I'm actually making an effort, but this one is difficult because on the website and in the email chain that they've sent us for registration, it's been uh, announced in multiple ways. Oh. So I've seen the regional, Northeast Regional Trade Show, AFA mm -hmm. Trade Show. I've also seen the Northeast Chapter Mm. afa trade show so, so i think it's probably the northeast chapters regional <laughs> afa or the afa northeast chapter regional trade show the website starts with northeast it's at the beginning yeah but it's the northeast chapter of the afa it doesn't say of but well, you I know don't what, care I mean. what it is we're going to be somewhere in connecticut i think what we just delivered was plenty of information that's to right find. Y'all can y'all can sort it out. I mean, you've got like an hour and a half to get there if you want to come see us. So hurry up. Just kidding. Um. All right. So thank you, listeners. As always, we appreciate what you tuning in, listening to us, all of that kind of stuff. This is the reason we do it. If you want to hear anything specific, any guest, any of that, if you want to be a guest, let us know. We're always willing to want listen and try to welcome. accommodate. Yes, yes come please, on, come please on. come on the We're show. Currently interviewing for an estimator project manager position yep uh, that's posted on all kinds of platforms we may or may not still be interviewing at that point so i'm going to predict the future and i'm going to say we found the perfect fit by the time this is airing yes dan manufacturer yeah there we go so we'll we'll just breeze on by that because we've already we've recently it. hired a new estimator that's right that's project right. manager that's right We'll introduce them soon on so, the Meet the Team. So it's interesting. We've been doing these uh, these technology companies that you know kind of stem from the AFA Tech Summit. Today we have another technology company with us, 
but it what? did not stem from the AFA Tech Summit. So wow. isn't that interesting? I, we set out on a journey, a three-hour tour, to talk about commercial fence, and we have now, for a month straight almost, mm. what? Yes, four weeks, we've talked about other people's software. Software. Okay. New, but hey, we're just, territory. we're just trying to pass the knowledge out there to the people. So if you want to know, this is where you come to find out. I really like introducing the guests, but I think because of your relationship with these guys, I think it's important that you get to do that today. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll do that. Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about cybersecurity, uh, just to kind of give you a preview of what the episode's going to be about. Uh, cybersecurity might be a little bit of AI thrown in there, maybe a little software development. So that's actually how I know these guys is they are the ones who developed um, Simpolo. I almost forgot what it was called there for a minute. So they were uh, they were the developers behind that and the ones who got to take all of my shenanigans and try to make it into something that worked. I tried to get him to talk bad about you before the show, but he wasn't down. That's why they they muted themselves just to make sure that nothing slipped out. I've worked with you pretty closely over the years, and it can be, there can be some tension at times. Yeah. Yeah. So I can only imagine uh, the circumstance of building the software and the complexities of trying to communicate your vision and then not not feeling like you've uh, been heard or that that's been communicated well. As we mm. talked about. It definitely the, isn't that I didn't communicate it well. It's just that it wasn't <laughs> heard well, for sure. No, 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 not at all. No. Uh, but like the episode with Amanda, um, you mentioned the necessity and the difficulties even of saying not just you get, hey, I got this great idea for a software and then the ability of a person who's not a developer to communicate what I want this to do. Or, it's difficult, man. Right. So, yeah, they've they've experienced a lot of that. A lot of screenshots with drawings and circles yeah. and yeah, they got it all go there and. Like the crayon drawings and all of that stuff. Yeah. Spreadsheet formulas. And Why all can't you understand? <laughs> I drew this with a crayon on a napkin. Come right, on. That's right. Yep. So uh, let's get serious. Oh. Let's get into this I thing. I didn't know we did that. Yeah. <laughs> I, keep, I keep putting that in the agenda and trying it. And I think we have a similar conversation every time. But uh, anyways, let's do it. So we have two guests today. First time ever. We have, we'll have three screens playing at the same time. It's going to blow your mind. <laughs> so our, our two guests are from, I hope I say it right, Cooley Tech. Uh, yeah, they that's have, right. All right. So they have two locations in Wisconsin. Um, as I already mentioned, they, they were the company that developed Simpolo for us, and they do a lot of IT work and cybersecurity. So that, that's kind of what we're here to talk about today. So we have Rod. Rod, how do you say your last name? Holum? Yep, Holum. Rod Holum. All right. So AKA Butt Kicker. Butt That's Kicker right. of Cybersecurity? Or, or of Cyber Something. We'll find out here in a minute. <laughs> yeah, so of Cybersecurity. Okay, okay. So he is the, Rod is the CEO, founder, an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, and the list goes on. Um, I was going to read, bring his book down so that I could kind of like read the bio, and naturally I forgot that. So uh, basically, <laughs> I think uh, it said he's been a geek since like, I don't know, he turned on his Commodore 64 30 years ago and has been doing it ever since is like a very brief uh, 
Right. That, that's the piece of it that really stood out, and I remember. So, um, we let's uh let's go ahead and just like put him on the screen. Uh, we so we also have Aaron Libner. I hope I said that right as well. So hey, Aaron, guys. yeah. So Aaron, your title is the Chief Acquisition Officer, and you also now have earned the title of author as well, since y'all uh, co-authored a book here. I don't know if that was your first, but that's the first I've seen. So, yeah, it was my first, that's for sure. So yeah, yeah. So congratulations on that. Awesome. Welcome, guys. Welcome to Powerhouse. So speaking of your books, are they available to the public or is it just something that you guys kind of use as a resource with your clients or you want to say anything about that? Yeah, you can go on Amazon and get all our books. Uh, so my first book, I think, was uh, 10 years ago. It was through my wife on why she's an amazing person. And I won uh, Valentine's Husband of the Year for that one. So uh, oh, nice. And I did it just to see what, what, what would it be like to publish a book. And you know, I did a topic I, I know best, which is obviously my wife. So. After that, we started doing books on cybersecurity. I did the Colonial Pipeline hack, and that one back in 2020, I think that was, and that worked out really well. Uh, it was a fun experiment to go and actually try publishing a IT cybersecurity-related book on a topic that was, at the time, pretty relevant. That, that news story burnt out after about three or six months. So then in 2021 or 2022, we did a, another book on seven mistakes your IT guy is making from a cybersecurity perspective. And then our latest one was Wisconsin AI Leadership, where we do a monthly workshop to help business leaders use AI in their day-to-day practices. So just talking about shovel-ready AI components. Good deal. So uh, Aaron just sent me some links. I don't know what I can do with them uh, right now, but we're going to try to figure something out. Since this is a recorded show, I can't like put it in the comments or anything at the moment. Um, but you definitely can go to Cooley www.cooley.tech is their website um, and they are on the Amazon store so would they look up I guess you could go on Amazon and look up Rod Olam and find them that way or would you look up Cooley or oh. I think that'll work let me go to Amazon and try okay alright cool while you're, while you're doing that do, uh, do you want to like give yourself any more of an introduction than what I've afforded our listeners so far actually yeah if you go to Amazon and look at Rodney Holum. You get all four of my books. Oh, there you go. Um, so we we do a segment. We do an <clears throat> Italian word of the week, and so we all get to try to. It's time to learn Italian. <laughs> <laughs> so we we all get to try to learn an Italian word, and we do terrible. So well, I don't know, Zach. You're pretty decent. I I get like twenty five percent of them. Decent, right. I think so. If it makes you feel better, I do terrible too, Dan. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that solidarity <laughs> and all. So the the Italian word for the week. Let's do internet. Let's introduce Ilaria. Ilaria Pisoni is back behind the scenes here, who is our lovely producer and in-house marketing manager, among other things. Also, she helps me make uh, goofy posters to make fun of our team members when I need something like that. <laughs> So that's how I'm misusing company resources pretty regularly these awesome. days, right? Alaria, I need a jersey that that's specifically designed for yeah. a specific... And Dan can't say no because I already have it before he knows about it. So Alaria Pisoni, everyone. Ilaria, what is the word, Italian word for the internet? Inter- or- internet. Oh, jeez. Oh, internet. 
internet. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> what yeah. about you guys? Can you Come guys on. say internet in Italian? <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably say it like Mario, like internet days. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just take a hard pass on that one. So oh, Come on, <laughs> Aaron. Come on. So internet we have Sadly, there are some Italian words that just the English word with an A sound at the end, like the Mario accent. Or you just like rolled the R a little bit or something. So there was one episode I think. Oh, I was we close. Could... You're saying. Yeah, yeah, you were close. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So there was one episode where we did like four or five Italian words, and they were all basically the same in English. Yeah. That, do you guys remember the German word from yesterday? Gesundheit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See good job health, but that was just last night, so i'm I'm doing good. I remembered it for like eight hours. I think I hear people say that though, yeah, me so too. it wasn't like new as bless you right yeah, yeah. yeah you haven't so heard that before, Dan, come on, man, I grew <laughs> yeah. up that's all that's all over my family says that, yeah, that's what I'm saying, like that's the reason we can actually remember that word is because we've heard it before, so i can't I don't know that I remember a single Italian word that we've done on this show. I'm just gonna start speaking Italian to you when I get upset. That's fine. I never have to know that you're upset. <laughs> oh, you will now. <laughs> All right. So I added a few things on the agenda before we get into the talking points that you guys sent over. And so, first of all, I want to complain about our phone situation. Have you got that sorted out yet? No, I just turned it off. I just turned just the threw phone it out off. the window. I didn't throw it. I just casually turned it off and said, sorry, my phone's not working. So Apple has this, uh, it's called like the Apple Business Manager, and you can do managed Apple IDs. And what that means is someone from inside the organization with the admin credentials in that system has to go in and add every app that they're allowed to have on any device and add licenses to everyone who's allowed to have that app. Well, that's all fine and dandy if you've got, you know, like your installers have phones and things like that. I, I kind of see the value of it. But then there's some people that have the phone, and it just makes it a freaking pain in the butt. And so Zach just happened to be one of those people, and so we're kind of like, no, screw this. We're just going to be done with that. And it's really difficult to be done with that, to like you, – you can't hardly like put the toothpaste back in the tube kind of situation. And so we've been fighting with that. So that's our story for the week. We told our other story last night, so that was the best I could come up with. So um, here's the question that I have for you two is who should be allowed on our Wi-Fi? You should have your Wi-Fi segmented into two separate ones, a uh, protected one that only employees have access to, and then you'd have one for guests, and that one would be VLAN'd off so that way – even if a hacker, a malicious actor, did come into your enterprise, they would have no access to your access servers. And so that guest account, um, we have like a, a mesh kind of thing, you know, from Linksys with like the nodes about and all. And so in there, I can turn on guest access. Is that accomplishing what you're saying, or is it supposed to be like a completely different router? Um, <clears throat> I'm not familiar with your with the Linksys models. Uh, the business grade stuff we use would be either Cisco or uh, um, Ubiquity, which has VLANing. Uh, Linksys, I'm not sure. Yeah, it just depends on what type of product and offering they'd have inside there. But they, in my experience, Linksys doesn't have a lot of advanced options. So 
it's probably pretty easy to get around if a malicious actor was on that. But so it's that, that, not that's looking at it blind, of course, just from the hip. So it's not affording us very much protection by turning on the guest network and letting people use it. Probably better than not doing it. I'll say that, right? Right. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, better than giving them access to your main one. But uh, no, I I would probably look at a, an upgraded uh, backend network stack. But yeah, we'd be happy to do a network assessment for you and give you our recommendation on that if you'd like. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So and you. <laughs> I'm sure. So you know the people who are doing our our IT work now. You know that's kind of how we got to you originally. Um, yep. But like that Wi-Fi mesh deal, I just went and bought it. Like I went to Best Buy and just bought it and put it in here. And as a result of this, because we were having connectivity issues down here where we're sitting in our little studio, and so I just put it in. And it's always kind of been a thing that people are like, "Oh, can I have the Wi-Fi password?" And I'm like, uh, "I don't think so." I'm not sure, but I don't think so. And so someone uh, gave me some attitude about it here in the past few days. So I figured I would just uh, take this opportunity to see what the correct answer is and if there is some concern there. So uh, the answer is yes. There is yeah, yeah, yes, there is concern. But I mean, yeah, so to jump into our, I guess, main topic here, cybersecurity is all about acceptable risk. The most secure computer is the one that's turned off in the basement behind a steel vault with no electricity. <laughs> that one is not getting hacked. As right. soon as uh, humans start using a computer, as soon as it gets access to the network, well, then there's just very different levels of vulnerability that that is going to have all the way up until you have a network where it's completely open, where open Wi-Fi, anyone can hop onto it, no passwords. And every business is trying to determine where along that scale do they fall? And often it comes down to cost. If you went to Best Buy and bought the Netgear stuff because the cost of maybe having your existing IT provider was probably five to 10 times more than that solution to go ahead and get it done at Best Buy yourself. And there are increased risks associated, but there's cost benefits associated to that as well. An analogy I give everyone is uh, the Federal Reserve has tons of cash, right? U.S. Federal Reserve. Supposedly. <laughs> that's a whole nother topic, but okay, we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not they should have it, they do. They have, they print and manage and store all the dollar bills and hundred dollar bills and then distribute those to banks. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the local gas station down the street does not have anywhere near, doesn't have any pallets of hundred dollar bills. However, if anyone tried to rob the Federal Reserve, even if they just attempted it, It'd be on the front page of every single newspaper, CNN, Fox News, everything, just for attempting to rob an actual Federal Reserve. But if that local gas station down the road got robbed, it wouldn't even make it into the newspaper. It's not because, but the gas station has less security than the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve has armed guards, heat sensors, and uh, a laundry list. They spend more money than that local gas station ever could on security. Yeah, they spend more money a day than that gas station does in a decade. Yep. Yeah, so they're an easy target. Yeah, they're easy target. Low, low so, risk, so low every reward. Every business goal when I'm working with them, the goal is to not make them invulnerable. You know, if the if Homeland Security and the NSA are getting hacked by other nation state actors, 
there's nothing any individual business can do to make themselves invulnerable to penetration. But what they can make themselves is more work than they're worth. So going back to the gas station, that's why some of the gas stations have bulletproof glass behind the uh, person taking the money and the customers, and they just keep getting more and more protections in place so that way they're less of a target. Because if they have those protections and the gas station down the road doesn't, hackers or criminals are going to go down to the other gas station. Same thing from a business perspective. If a business per, business has reasonable cybersecurity protection, the hackers are going to go find an easier target because there's lots of easy targets out there. All right. Yeah, so that's uh, – I use that in the fence world, right? It doesn't have to be impossible to break into your property. It just has to be more difficult than your neighbor. Right? Yep. So. Yeah, it's actually a good, uh, good analogy in the – so we're both in the security business. Right, right. Just two different cons, but yeah, similar, similar thing going on. Um, so the the first talking point that you guys had was kind of like an intro or background. Um, I don't know if you kind of want to backtrack and we can talk about that. Uh, one of my questions was like kind of how did you get started in cybersecurity or when? So back in 2001, long before I started Cooley Tech, uh, I was going to school for IT at the time. And uh, my brother, who is now our chief information officer and the one who's done the primary development of Simpalo, uh, he was hadn't even gone to college yet for it. But uh, IT security was just something we found very, very interesting. So I had a number of uh, businesses in IT in the late 90s, back when I was a teenager. And um, back when I was a freshman in high school, I was at the uh, local computer uh, club uh, training adults on how to use, back then, uh, it was just Windows and deep branching computers and such. So, but we always took a natural leaning towards the security side of the IT. And we were, we did back then something called war driving, where we took a newspaper out and showed people, ironically enough, unsecure wireless networks that had default passwords still on them that you could log into and uh, we got on the front page of the newspaper at our uh, the local newspaper there in Eau Claire, up where Aaron is, back in yeah, they go 2001, and uh, from there we just always had a very strong leaning on the security side, which is always interesting. Uh, it's kind of like it's about as close as I'll probably get to being a secret agent, right? Uh, you're going and fighting these mm -hmm. mystical people that are in other countries that are trying to attack and hurt businesses, and our job is to help protect and defend them and you get a little bit of a Superman effect when uh, you can go into a client that has completely been ransomware and they are like two weeks, uh, two or three weeks ago, we went into a client that was literally working with an uh, agency on how to get a million dollars in Bitcoin because they had to pay $1 million in ransom and we were able to recover their data and make it so that way they didn't have to pay any and get some protections in place so they won't be able to be reattacked because 60% of people that pay a ransom get reattacked because they don't do anything to fix what was actually broken. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So a million dollars in Bitcoin, and then they do nothing to prevent future attacks. Yeah. Like that, that's madness. I think if I were attacked, I would definitely be like, oh, wait a minute, heard from that lesson. Let me do something different now. Yep. It's crazy. Some of them are under the people you have around us, though, right? I mean, if, uh, if you don't bring anyone new into the equation, you're solving it with the same people that got you in the situation to start out with, right? Now, again, they're, they're the smartest people in the room as far as uh, if, you, if you as a business owner have your trusted IT person and they tell you, well, this just kind of happens, you know, and let's go ahead and buy this one new piece of software. 
well, you're still getting advice from the same person that didn't tell you you should have fixed it, things you should have done on the front foot side, right? Right. Yeah. And segueing into the book that uh, you have there, well, I think it's the second, first or second chapter, we talk a lot about, there's a lot of really great IT people out there. They know how to set up printers. They can set up your computer. They're friendly. They've been going to your same church with you for 10, 20 years, but they're not cybersecurity specialists. And in the same token that if you have a builder, if we're going to relate to building a house, you could have a house builder that's been doing it for 20 years. They know how to do everything from a building perspective, but you wouldn't want that person to build your bank or build a, um, build a jail or build something that you have to have security top of mind. You know, you start out with the security and then you go material, whereas most builders will just go ahead, look at the blueprint and build it accordingly. Same thing on a security perspective. There's a lot of really awesome IT people that when they went to school, they had, they did not want to think about how do they stop Russia from coming and hacking into a small medium business, try getting a half a million dollars in ransom. They, that they don't want to have to work on it. They want to know, well, how do I say, or how do I install a server and how do I configure my domain controller and all great things. I, I hire a lot of great computer techs that don't want to think about cybersecurity. So I cut, or we also uh, join internal IT that they want to handle the IT, but they want someone that knows what they're doing from a cybersecurity perspective. All right. So I started reading your book. Um, I didn't make it through a ton of it before before this episode here, but I did start reading it some. And one of the kind of like to reiterate what you said is like your IT guy is not your cybersecurity person most of the time, right? Yep. Or maybe even all the time. I, you know, I, I don't know, but but that was an interesting thing because we don't have two separate people, right? We have a person who handles handles our IT stuff, and so they will come set up a printer and they'll come connect our monitor. And then they also are the ones that put in our firewall. And so, you know, we do have like uh, some kind of Barracuda firewall and stuff like that. But I mean, it's the same company that did all of that. So maybe it's something we need to look into and kind of see if, if we have some big gaping holes in there as well. But, yeah, I think uh, it's always good to do an assessment and just see, see how you stack up. You know, do a simulated yeah. attack of. And that's one of the things that we offer is uh, we'll go and give any client a free cyber. We basically act as a penetration test. So it's like the Nigerian prince that's trying to make everyone rich. If someone actually went and clicked on that email that they got, what potential information could a malicious actor actually get out of your computer system? All right. And, so, you know, normally people are floored at the type of information they get. They just had no idea. And especially all that just off clicking on links. Right. Maybe you just got ransomware. The best time to try fixing a ransomware is before it happened. And the analogy I'd give you is that if you walked into your business and it had just burned down, the best time to buy a sprinkler was before it burned down. Mm. And it is a hundred times easier to recover from an attack if a little bit of uh, preventative maintenance had been done on the front side. So I would want to, the first thing I would look at, if you haven't been ransomware yet, you don't want to do it, and you want to make sure that you have a off-sited, off-site data revision backup. And we we want our backups air gapped, and that none of the people in control of getting, doing the backup have the ability to actually delete the backup in case there was a compromise of one of those individuals. Uh, second thing, let's say for example you didn't have all that on the front side, and you did just get ransomware. What you want to do is try hoping you have uh, some type of backup that you can recover. So, so far, we have a 100% success rate on uh, helping clients recover from a ransomware. 
which is you know, honestly we've just gotten in lucky with clients that uh well now clients they weren't our clients before so i want to highlight that is that none of our clients that have our protections we've highlighted have ever been ransomed and on average uh, uh on average about 10 to 20 percent of businesses a year get ransomware so that's a a, a pretty big uh chip on our shoulder we like to brag about but on a long enough timeline, I know that's not going to be able to continue because it's a constant game of uh, cat and mouse, and eventually, someone, one of the ha- some hacker group is going to find a way around the protections we have in place. So, uh, I I say that with a grain of salt, and I know someday I'll be eating my words. But to date, anyway, so on a, from a ransomware attack, the first the first thing to look at is that you're the people that have ransomware, they're a business, and what they ultimately want is they want to get paid, they want to make money, so. What they're going to do is try finding out where is all your data, what is critical of it, and how can they make it so that way you actually pay them to get it back. So if you can have data backups that give you your critical data, it either makes it so you don't have to pay them, or if you can show the hackers that I already have my accounting data, I already have my client data, I have my data that's really expensive, they might knock the ransomware down from a million dollars to $5,000. Because maybe $5,000 is worth you getting all your HR docs or Word docs or SOPs or all the stuff that would take you a while to recreate, but it's not stuff you pay a million dollars for. Whereas if you have, if your entire accounting system has been ransomware and you have no backups of it, well, both from an IRS perspective and compliance perspective, paying taxes, you might pay a million dollars if you're large enough for that data back or half a million or a hundred thousand. Wow. So I know something uh, that you kind of mentioned in your box that can keep it. <laughs> Just well, I mean, if you're, if you're target, like that doesn't really work. Right. I was thinking about us. That's what I was thinking like as a, as a business and we were talking about, as I was trying to get into a minute ago, the, the work versus the, reward for the criminal or whatever like what would make us attractive or what but when you said this ransomware it doesn't even matter they don't have to know anything about us just that we may want our data to, to pay some money for it that was one of the questions that i was going to ask in a little bit is kind of like who's a target and stuff um so well, i can hop in on who's a target so just everyone, like that analogy they gave you from a robbery perspective anyone with a bank account with some money in it is a target I mean, there, there's right. people, there's hackers that are out there. If they can get all the pictures of your kids and you don't have any backup, they'll go ahead and ransomware those and tell you, I want you to pay $5,000. Otherwise, you're not going to get those baby pictures back. And they found the only spot that was, sometimes people keep it on a USB drive plugged onto their computer. So it's on two different spots. The hackers just ransomware yeah. the USB drive and the computer. I didn't think about the accessibility of a USB that's just hanging around in a port somewhere. Yeah, that's mm. wild. Mm-hmm. Mine is actually turned off inside of a steel vault. That's how I keep mine, just if anyone's listening. <laughs> right. Behind that steel door. Right. Well, as long as there's no uh, network cable running through that stable door, or steel door. Right. That's right. So you were going to mention, oh, you just said the people who are target or anybody with any money or any. Yeah, anyone with any money. You don't have to be rich. Just like uh, the gas station gets robbed way more than the Federal Reserve, even though the Federal Reserve has more money in it. What I often say is that 
hackers are interested in you. You're just not interesting enough to make the front page of the news. That's why no one ever hears about you. Right. And I, th right. I think it's important to realize too that there's different levels of hackers. There's these guys that are just looking to make a couple bucks here and there, and then there's these guys that are belonging to large criminal organizations, and there's everything in between there. So you got people looking at consumers, you have people looking at businesses, you have a mix of both. Some focus on certain verticals where they're looking at cards more so others are doing the more of the ransomware. I mean, there's no standardization. If they're gonna, they have an opportunity to make money and they find a way to do it, they're gonna continue on that path. On that Right, I mean, a dollar from a hundred people is a hundred dollars, right? So that yep. makes sense too. Is Wi-Fi a limited resource? I mean, technically, everything is limited, uh, and even the sun has a limit. But well, good point. But but I mean, as we know it, I don't. It doesn't seem like the throttling is more of a monetary thing than it is about. Uh, would imagine. Well, if you have a hundred, let's say you have a. Hundred thousand clients, and they all use a terabyte of data. You don't have the switches on the backside to push that level of data, so they throttle it so that way people don't use it as their primary internet as their business. Because then, if everyone's doing that, they have to have a lot more infrastructure on their side. Mm, that checks out. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, yep. It's like uh, if everybody had a water hose and they well, could was, only turn it on exactly a little, what I was or thinking. yeah. Yeah. When you were saying data and limiting, I was imagining dams and water flow. That's yeah. how I was trying to envision this. So, yeah. So I'm sorry if you've already kind of like mentioned this before, but if you are being attacked, all right, you're <laughs> someone is trying to steal your data and hold it ransom. Are there any kind of like early warning signs or anything like that that you may be able to just like go up there and pull the plug and kind of, <laughs> you know, stop them when they're like 25% of the way into it or something? Throw Is a lead blanket over your computer. Right, You're going right. to have like a case of emergency. Yeah, if you detect that there is some type of ransomware or cyber incident happening, you the first thing you want to do is unplug your network, unplug your internet, turn off all, turn off everything for the most part. Um, the faster you can do that, the faster, the, the less likely they're going to be able to attack everything. Um, unfortunately, hackers are very smart and they do this for a living. So most cyber attacks will happen on a Friday evening before a large weekend. So that's Memorial Day, 4th of July, Labor Day, Christmas, New Year's. And that's because uh, owners and uh, IT directors, uh, executives, higher-ups, they're normally taken off early before those large uh, holidays anyway. So well, they'd they, be screwed here because I'm the dude that's still here till friggin' 8 o'clock that night. Yep. So. Well, they don't start the attack until midnight normally. So. Yeah midnight or sometime in the evening because a lot of these hacker groups are over in either china russia india philippines iran so their daytime is your evening so it has no problem with them doing a uh, early saturday morning 2 a.m attack and if they do it on those large weekends a lot of times someone won't notice until tuesday morning that our servers are all ransomware mm. and to do a full ransomware attack it normally only takes six hours so to and they already they're inside your computer system three to six months on average before they'll actually initiate an wow. attack. So they've done their assessments on what data is important. That's what they'll hit first. Uh, alerting, they'll go ahead and turn that off. And when they execute their attack, it's not just some blind. Let's see what happens. It's by trained cybersecurity specialists that know how to attack 
a business and hit you where it hurts. Cyber ninjas. That's crazy. I was just thinking about uh, that Christmas that uh, some equipment was stolen. And no one noticed for several or a day or so after the equipment was stolen. Oh no, there was one piece of equipment that no one noticed for like three months. <laughs> and they're like, so Wait I can a imagine minute. that we could easily be attacked. Uh, you know, have some right. experience some cyber theft and have no clue whatsoever. Oh no, I'm pretty sure it's happened to me. When I go back and look for that Word document that I know I have and I can't find it, it definitely was stolen. <laughs> Well, and to throw in a couple, you know, stats that are generally out there too, like amateur level hackers can make as much as eighty thousand bucks a month. Uh, yeah, not a year, a month. And uh, according to uh, statistic technology, I was pulling up one of our presentations that we do. Uh, in twenty twenty alone, uh, the average revenue of what was taken from cybercrime was uh, two point nine five trillion dollars. Last year, they had reported 11.5, uh, and as of 2027, they're projecting $23.8 trillion worth of revenue uh, through cybercrime. So this isn't, uh, this isn't slowing down. This is a real thing that businesses need to take seriously and, and uh, dig into and, and prepare for their budgets and everything. Um, Zach, we're going to have to redo our backdrop. We have a new business we're going to add to this thing. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's what I was thinking. If these guys like go to the dark side, we're in serious trouble. Yeah, because they know how to prevent, so they obviously know how to successfully. Isn't that uh, so? It's good. Well, while sleep. that is true, I like being able to sleep next to my wife at night, and you can't do that in prison. Yeah, good point. <laughs> good point. That's, that's but true. there are people on the on the dark side of it that are significantly more skilled than I am. These people are. I mean, and if you're on the defense, which is what we've helped with clients. It, all we need to have is one mistake, and the and the enemy can get through. Now, on the plus side, we have as long as clients will listen to what I tell them to do, it isn't horribly difficult. We just lock it down very, very tight. And one of the biggest protections we have, and we're one of the minorities in this area, but uh, we won't work with any client that doesn't have what's called a zero trust protection in place, and that is where we whitelist every piece of software that can run. Now the downside of that is even if you have administrative access, you can't install software. Like on my computer here, I can't. I, Rod Holm, CEO and founder, all the cool stuff, cannot install software on my own computer without my technician approving it. And we mm. always have that. We have two people approve every piece of software that's going to get installed, just in case on a long enough timeline, I could make a mistake and install a ransomware piece of software, right? Uh. So, An example of that is I, I had a CEO just two weeks ago try to install LastPass, which is a password manager. We mm -hmm. highly, you know, we recommend all of our clients should have some type of password manager. However, somehow she got a download of a corrupted version that had a Trojan inside of it. Because if you think about it from a hacker perspective, if you can get the CEO to install a ransomware or a compromised password manager, they're getting all the passwords in, right? Right. <laughs> well, our software knows what the encryption key of the correct version of LastPass is. So when she tried to install this other one, which was named correctly, it identified that, hey, this isn't the right installer. And also we saw like, hey, this actually has a ransomware in it. Let's go ahead. We got to get you the right one and redirected her. But she would have never known it. Wow. And, and this uh, this brings up a good point we want to highlight. And this is a good uh, good takeaway for your listeners, too. Uh, we're talking about password managers. Those are heavily secure vaults. 
that are designed to keep your username, passwords, and everything very safe. Uh, saving credentials into your browsers are very easy for amateur level hackers to get and are just free text files. So while you may seem all warm and fuzzy inside by saving that credential to your browsers, you're actually just opening up a really easy vulnerability to get into your accounts and your applications. So don't use Google Password Manager, you're saying? No. <laughs> what about Apple's? Uh, Apple's, uh, we don't have any. So Apple's product line as a whole is more geared towards residential clients than business. So we don't see a lot of those in the business environment as a whole. Right. Speaking of passwords, I that's the part of the book I thumbed through a little bit yesterday. We had a good time playing with the list of the top 10 lists of passwords. And you know, I mean, for the last the, decade. The funniest thing about it is it's in movies and cartoons. I mean, children's shows, they joke about the password being password. So it seems just mm -hmm. ridiculous that someone would actually do that. You know? Yeah, not someone, lots of people. I mean, right. it happens quite <laughs> right, regularly. Obviously. Right. And then, and, like, your and first and last on name. Password, like, uh, bring up is, uh, so I think it was in 2020 or not that long ago, there was a, uh, hackers got into the alert system in Hawaii and alerted everyone in Hawaii that there was a nuclear missile inbound. It was going to be there in six minutes. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Yep. That hack was caused because the director of the operations center took a selfie in his operations center and his password was on a sticky note on his monitor in the background <laughs> of the image. Oh my goodness. The so hacker zoomed in, saw the password, identified what his username would be, and it's not that hard to find out. You find out a couple email addresses, and then like, hey, let's go ahead and send this false attack out. So I will so, say, like, you can't hack a sticky note, but you probably shouldn't take a picture of it. Yeah, but have you ever taken any picture from inside your organization before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, no one thinks about it, right? Yeah. And your employees do it, and the hackers know that, they're not going to go start Facebook stalking the information security officer, right? That right. person is highly paranoid. They are going to go talk to you and start stalking your receptionist, your salespeople, your HR department. And they're going to be like, because those people are used to receiving and opening documents that no one without thinking twice from people they don't know. If I send your salespeople, hey, I have this large bid for a big uh, Menard store here. I want to get fencing on. Can you open this? They're going to be like, yeah, yeah, I want that bin, right? Mm -hmm. And they're gonna, if they ask them to install something, they're gonna be like, that's right, I'm getting this bin. Also, boom, they're ransomware. They use it for lateral attacks. So can you can you let people in just by opening attachments to your email? Oh yeah. Yeah. So when you see all these random emails come in that have like you know files attached to them and look super shady, then that's quite possibly what's happening. People are trying According to get to Microsoft, 90% of all cyber breaches or cyber instances start from an email. Yeah, I believe that for sure. Speaking of, you use the word paranoid. I'm currently very paranoid. You're, are this, you getting a little more paranoid? Uh, yeah, big time. Yeah, big time. Uh -huh. I'm going I consider back to my primary job is to make sure everyone has a healthy level of paranoia in their cyber day. <laughs> I'm going to go upstairs and it just take a sledgehammer to my computer after this <laughs> and get a piece of paper out. Yeah, I got to go. <laughs> and, and I think this leads into a good uh, segue on ways to stop those yep. uh, we call phishing emails with the links and, and attachments. And 
That's making sure you got multi-factor or two-factor authentication set up on all of your accounts anywhere possible, even yeah. social media accounts. Like the things you think of, less now, you know, Rod, maybe some others might occasionally say some of those other accounts, maybe not as important as maybe social media if you're okay with it. But like I, I personally, since going to this industry, uh, <laughs> that multi-factor across everything. I, there's not a thing I don't. My wife gets a little annoyed probably by my paranoia with multi-factor and having to get codes sent or told to her to get into something. But <laughs> I'm telling you what, I know I'm protected that way. Yeah. Yeah, we have that on our Amazon account. And I get codes all the time because, like, my wife swaps back and forth between ours and her parents or something like that, especially around <laughs> Christmas time. Like, if she wants to order me something on Amazon for Christmas, she, like, swaps to her parents' account and orders it there. And so I'll just start getting these codes. Here's your Amazon one-time password. And I'm like, okay. So, yeah, I feel your pain on the whole having to share codes with people and stuff like that. But, yes, I thought uh, I thought we could kind of talk about, like, some of the cybersecurity standards that most people need to have in place. Um, and I would like to talk a little bit about uh, a lot of people in the fence industry operate like off of, uh, you know, maybe a tablet, a laptop, an iPad, something like that in the field. And they're like taking customer information and trans having like credit card transactions happen just through maybe a, yeah, a, point a mobile hotspot iPad, or, right. yeah, or through your cellular data or whatever. So I'd kind of like to touch on that some too before we run out of time. Yeah, the first thing I'd highlight on that is that there's a law passed that went into effect last June called the FTC Safeguard Rule. So what that basically means is uh, everyone, uh, there's been laws on how banks need to secure their financial data for decades. And banks are normally very, very good at that. And the FTC decided to expand that rule to any client, any individual that has over 5,000 customer records needs to put their data at the same level as banks do now. Uh, for the most, for the most part, and they just to hide, make sure everyone understood what they're talking about. They said, yes, that means auto dealerships need to have at this level, CPA firms need to have it at this level, and the list goes on and on. Housing, pretty much, they they wanted to make sure that the population understood that we are making this, and that we understand this expansion includes these type of businesses, and yes, that means it. So. For more, and 5,000 pieces of information is not hard to pick. And that includes customer information, email, and it's normally either non-public information or PII information, which includes just person's name, their address. So for, as far as what the, what's a minimum need, for most businesses, we try to set them up as you need to be compliant with the FTC safeguard rules that uh, require, and there's a laundry list on those. So, for our clients, as I mentioned, the Zero Trust Protection Framework, um, which I explained a little bit earlier in here, but it's just every single piece of application needs to be whitelisted. And it is by far the best way to protect yourself from a ransomware attack or a zero day vulnerability, which is a vulnerability in the software you're specifically using. And there've been a number of what's called supply chain attacks where the hackers hack into the software companies, insert malicious code into the software, and then all these companies go, and, or, and download your QuickBooks or your whatever line of business you want to all the way up into Microsoft themselves. And then you have the hackers use that as the vehicle to launch an attack from. 
So where zero trust protection framework protects against even those types of attacks, because even if that, that particular piece of software is compromised, they can't lateral into the other pieces of software, into the operating system or move from there because they're locked into the, the piece of software they got, which most hackers will use as their launch pad, not as the actual, not what they're actually trying to attack. But secondary is uh, getting a endpoint detection and mitigation software. Uh, we utilize Huntress, it works really well, but there's a number of them out there. And those are AIs that run on the computers themselves to look for the type of things that mm. hackers would be doing. So are they ransomware in your machines? Are they uh, scanning the network? Are they opening files from an investigation perspective on the front side? And you want them to flag that if that happens. And then of course, uh, a standard uh, antivirus, but we consider antivirus in general more of a placebo than anything because it doesn't really stop an attack. It will stop highly automated script attacks, but mm -hmm. most actual attacks on clients are not scripted anymore. They're especially on business clients. They are analyzing your network and find out how can they actually identify because businesses have tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars that they would pay if they're a ransomware. So the antivirus is just going to be basically to stop a virus that's on autopilot. It's not going to do anything if there's an actual a uh, a ninja attacking your network or your your computers or anything like that. So what can you what could you put on an iPad though? I mean, are does this type of stuff exist for like a you know tablets and mobile devices? Endpoint detection and mitigation. Oh, I'll, I'll rewind. Apple has a lightweight zero trust framework already built within it. Now the danger you're going to have with a uh, with an Apple product is that they're highly focused on individuals. And like when we started talking, and maybe it was before the recording, you were talking about how you allow specific applications to run on these uh, Apple phones, right? Right. Well, that is a zero trust because you're you're only allowing software you want to run on those to actually run. Now, it isn't the same zero trust we're doing because we're actually scanning every file to make sure it's legitimate. So it's I consider it a lightweight zero trust. It's better, way better than nothing. But because uh, um, you can't just get people to download any little thing that they want to on the computer. So Apple or even any tablet, Android tablets, um, you're going to have limited access on what you can actually do from a security perspective. But most people are not using those as what I would call their daily drivers. They're using those when they go out to the field and maybe your sales team outside are using those. But when they get back to the office, most of them would have an actual computer that they're gonna be working with business line of software or uh, unless you're like, no, that's not how our businesses work, so. So us personally, yes, we have like the vast majority of our transactions and everything we do. In fact, I think all of what we do happens on a computer. But there's a lot of people in the fence world out there that are never sitting at a desk, right? And if they, they're in the field with a customer, they're taking credit card information from a customer standing in their front yard, and they're like processing payments and stuff like that through a mobile device of some sort. So what I would do in that scenario is, let's say it was an iPad, just using that as an example, right? Mm -hmm. I would have the type of software you were referring to have an exceptionally locked down that only does business grade information. I might even put it so that way they can only go to websites that are approved by the business. So you want to make sure that they're not able to download random, you know, games and can't, it's not something that you're going to give your kids in the evening to watch their videos and then you go take it out to the work because 
Those are opportunities for compromise into the device itself. And all the accounts should have multi-factor authentication enabled on them. So your work accounts that are on there, because even if they're on a, an Apple phone, they're probably using Microsoft 365 for email or Gmail would be the two primary ones. Right. Unless they have Apple accounts. But most clients I see that are entire Apple houses for the most part are five or less employees uh, from a computerized network. So as you get much above that, it becomes hard to manage user access and user accounts within the Apple ecosystem. They, yeah. they, they work really, really well from a end user perspective, but right. they do not work well if you have 20 employees and how do I, you have employees joining and leaving and user permissions and access. They just, it's not their wheelhouse. They, they excel at individual experience, not corporate experience. Yeah, we're having problems with just one. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that that Apple Business Manager deal we talked about. I, I think they only launched it maybe like a year or 18 months ago or something like that, and it is not a very user-friendly experience, and there's some holes in it, I'll say. Some, well, I think all these companies excel at what they're good at, and Apple yeah. really excels in the personal market and making a device that's exceptionally easy to work with. And yeah. they do it well on security, uh, not from a corporate user so when we talk about like FCC safeguard rules, you know, there's things like controlling access to information to only those that need it. Apple isn't good at that. Apple's right. good at an individual to make sure that that person doesn't get hacked, but it assumes that whoever has access to that device should have access to everything on that device for the most part. You're not user permission locking yep. you know, based off their rules. So that's right. Uh, yep. So th that's where I don't think. I don't think Apple will ever become a dominant force within the marketplace from a uh, corporate IT perspective because it's not their bread and butter, whereas Windows does exceptionally at that. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they dominate the corporate business world, but most people that are using that business have some type of Apple product at home because for an individual, Apple works better. But from a corporate perspective, you have and that is their ecosystem that they they have all the user permissions and tracking and, and items so the clients that are full apple shops if they grow eventually they will have to bite the bullet and go back to windows uh based off what i foresee the future being so we're talking people that are like you know there's one person and maybe like their wife or maybe you know they have a, a part-time person that helps them kind of in the office but I mean, this will be like a guy that's out here making sales and, you know, dispatching his crews and all of that. So, I mean, you know, not any kind of like big corporate organization, nothing like that. I mean, it, it's they're pretty small companies that are, you know, operating with like minimal sales admin force or and stuff like that. And so I would imagine. Excuse me, sorry. I would imagine that their same device that they're taking out and they're doing these credit card transactions and all this stuff with standing in a customer's yard is the device that they're giving their kids at night that they're watching YouTube kids on, right? Yeah, I mean, it's all that. one in the same thing. So here's why, all right? So I estimate it costs about $175 a month per computer to properly manage it from a security perspective by a professional IT company. Mm -hmm. So, which I can understand is, uh, a cost barrier to someone just starting out or two or three employees, right? Yeah. They just don't have the, uh, the sales volume to be able to justify to have their computers properly supported. However, buy two iPads then. They can yeah. afford $500 for a second iPad because if they, 
And here's a big, the little bit of cost that that is, so that way they can have their kid to watch the NetMe tubes or whatever you want, right? Uh, to keep them entertained at the night. You, the cost of getting hacked will be far more than the cost of that little iPad. Yeah, so it's, it's really cheap insurance. So yeah. that's what I was kind of thinking is if you are that person, you know, you got a couple of people and you're like, you have these multi-use devices that are both personal and business. So you shouldn't do that, right? Set no. up one that is for business and like, that's all that you do with it. And then if you want a personal device, then have that separate so that you're not risking allowing anyone access into your business stuff and have separate Apple IDs for the two of them as well. Like don't yeah. link your Apple IDs so that anyone has access to it that way. <coughs> oh my goodness. Um, and I say yeah. a little bit of inconvenience for you is a major inconvenience to a hacker. Right. So, and you're always playing that game. And I think yeah. one, of, one of the other things for, uh, you know, the little more on the consumer side too is, you know, if they're looking at Windows, they got uh, Google Chromebooks, which are great, lightweight, inexpensive devices for those uh for the youth or whoever's looking on those social media accounts, those streaming channels, those are really lightweight. You can't do much with them today. But if you're going to be making also like purchases at your home, get a reloadable card for if you want your kids to be able to purchase something through an app or uh, something like that. Don't use a debit card or credit card that is, you know, tied to your personal lives that you depend on. Those reloadable cards are pretty easy to come by nowadays. And if a hacker happens to get a hold of that, it's not going to be a huge detrimental loss. It's going to keep you from paying your bills too. Yeah, so that's a, that's a little bit step further than what I normally tell people. Um, I I don't use a debit card for anything, and so I I heard uh, Frank Abagnale, you know, from Catch Me If You Can, the movie. He talked about that, and I was like, you know, it's a really good point. Like, why would I use a, a debit card at all? Because I'm just giving someone access straight into my bank account if they get the number. And so I've swapped, and, like, everything that my family does is all through credit cards. So at least that is a little bit of protection. But what you're saying is even, like, a step further, and it's kind of, like, completely disconnected from you even. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's a pretty good idea too. Yeah, and from a business perspective, something else I've done is I go to my bank can allow me to have debit cards tied to specific accounts. Mm. So I can go there and get a I created one called the shady account. So if I'm ever doing any transaction I think it's a little shady, <laughs> I go ahead and just I go and get the debt because sometimes you buy something online, it's like this isn't from Amazon, this is from some website. I have no idea what this thing is yep. from, right? Yep. So I'm like, all right, I'll go ahead and use my shady account one. And I only I manually move the money in there that I want to go ahead and have uh, for that transaction. So if it ever does get compromised, it's basically a burner account that I can just, all right, it's compromised, throw it away, and I don't have to reset everything. Yep. Yeah, so probably about I'm gonna, once a year, will uh, my, my American Express card will get hacked and I have to replace it. Or, you know, the number gets stolen and it'll have some fraudulent charges and I'll have to replace it probably once a year. Um, yep. so it, it definitely happens. And like, if that were a debit card and they could just go into our operating account and take whatever they wanted, like that would be way more of a, of a problem. Uh, we've talked about the check fraud stuff that's happened to us. So like, there still are ways that people could get to it. But, um, I think, so if you're writing checks, I think kind of along the same lines as what Rob was saying is like, you could have a separate account that's for payroll. And, you know, for writing checks and like you just 
run the checks and then transfer whatever the amount of money is into that account. So you're not giving them complete access to everything you have in the bank too. So I, I'm a huge advocate for having multiple accounts. My wife likes to make fun of me because I have accounts at all the banks, but I mean, at least if they get into one, then like there's still some other ones that I can use until we sort out what's going on with the one. I called and I talked to my insurance agent a little bit about this because we have an insurance coverage called cyber liability. Mm. And so I, I think that's another thing that user or sorry, not users, but listeners should be aware of is there is insurance coverage out there that will at least to some extent, you know, reimburse you and pay for some of the expenses that you would incur if you are attacked. So we'll, um, I, I talked to him and, and we have both first person or first party coverage. So for our own coverage for like data and systems and things like that. And then we also have third party coverage. So that way, if there was a loss for one of our clients or vendors or anything along those lines, they would have be covered as well. Um, but you can, uh, if you are listening and you are interested in that, I've told you before, have an insurance agent that you can pick up the phone and call somebody that you can talk to, not just a website that you use or something like that. So um, we can, you, you can call them and they'll definitely uh, get you pointed in the right direction there. Oh, I'm... Yeah. So on cyber liability, what I would cite is uh, it's really important. You fill it out correctly and you understand what you're telling them. Yeah. And to, if you read that, a lot of the items is really geeky, and you might want to have your IT provider assist you with those. But if you fill that out incorrectly and you are breached, you, they can tell your insurance company tell you we're not covering this. Oh, An example yeah. is they could add what a lot of times what you'll find on there is they'll say, "Hey, do you have multi-factor authentication on?" You're mm-hmm. going to check. Yeah, of course I do. Well, they're going to ask. They're going to find out that the breach came into your email, and your email did not have multi-factor authentication on it. And then yep. they're going to say. We insured you under the understanding you had multi-factor authentication on there because our numbers show 99.9% of all breaches can be stopped with multi-factor authentication. You failed or you you committed insurance fraud on this by filling it out incorrectly. We're not covering this. And uh, there's a number of other things from data backup. They'll ask about – so all the things I told you about our basic protections up there, those are items that are normally on your cyber liability if they're asking you. So you can get coverage. And many businesses think that they have coverage when actually they, they don't because in the event of a cyber breach, the insurance company would cancel it once you tell them they're not covering it because it was filled out correctly. Yep. So um, I think uh, Aaron and Tim both had some experience whenever I went through and was getting my cyber liability coverage for the software. And yep. they did. They sent like several pages of application. And so I had to – I sent it to them. They had some questions on there that they answered about Simpalo. I sent it to our IT people. There were some questions on there that they answered about our network. And so, I mean, it's it's a process to get it. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's for me personally, I don't know how this varies for everybody in states and all of that stuff. But, like, it was fairly inexpensive to get, like, some decent cyber liability coverage. So, uh, we definitely have that. Now, our network side of it, uh, we probably could do a little assessment of it and see if we, if we have a – some stuff that we need to add there and you know step up and things like that but but i know we do like i said we do have that barracuda firewall in place and i all our microsoft stuff all has multi-factor authentication on it and 
So uh, we have some stuff, but man, it's it's hard. So like from from my perspective, it's difficult because like I'm trying to run a business. I'm trying to sell some fence. I'm trying to make sure we get all that done. I'm trying to sell software like I'm doing this thing. And now, I mean, it's just something else to put on the plate. And so there's like this weird area where like you almost need a person who like this is your job to take care of all of the you know, cybersecurity and like at least maybe be like the password manager and, you know, kind of like put that on somebody's plate because it does take a decent bit of time. We've talked about the Apple business manager stuff a couple of times. I mean, you get a new device, you have to add the device to it. You got to add the users to it. You got to go through and whitelist all the stuff they can right. have, you know, and that, like an IT liaison or something. Right. That They're not the internal IT person, but they're the go between for the business on the business's behalf. Right. And it's not, I mean, it's not something for us that would be like justify having a full-time person to right. do it, but I don't know that that's a hard thing. That's and, you know, I think that's the struggle a lot of times in business is like, yeah, I know I should be doing that, but I just don't have time to do it. Um, so I think, uh, I suspect that's where people like Cooley tech come into play whenever you can be like, Hey, can you take care of this for me? Right. Um, so we've talked about in response to the ransomware, obviously getting some situations in place to prevent it going forward. There's possibly some uh, help you can get from insurance and having liability. So obviously I'm going to call those two people. But what about like the police or a government agency that's going to who do I call if that's happened? Is there any sort of. Uh, you know, the FBI or somebody that's going to help out in that situation to pursue the criminals? Or can you even pursue the criminals? Yeah, you can pursue them. And we've met a lot of our local FBI agents that will handle those uh, white-collar crimes, basically what they are. However, when we talk to them, they're not really there to help you get unhacked. Like, if you're lucky enough that they somehow have the encryption key, they can. They, they more just report on it hacked and we'll see what we can get you but right that's where all the data that you guys gave us came from yeah (laughs) and it's not their fault because uh a lot of the hackers are overseas like so an example is right now us and russia are not on great terms right you know we're providing uh some weaponry to someone they're trying to fight so if uh, we find out the hackers were in downtown moscow we go send putin a little letter like hey you want to send this guy over here stop this he's gonna tell you no i'm good thanks yeah. And same thing with China, North Korea, Iran, right? If the hackers are sitting inside those countries, we can send as many Interpol requests over there as we want. They're going to just land on someone's desk and get thrown away. They're, they don't care. So, so, you know how you see in the movies where it's like, oh, they're bouncing their signal off of 72 different places and we can't track them and we have no idea where they are. I mean, could you do that from inside the U.S. and make it look like you were an attacker from one of these countries, China, North Korea, Russia, something like that? You would, but if you were an American doing hacking, you would probably try hacking Russians. You wouldn't attack Mm. Americans because of liability. It's still illegal, but uh, Mm. it would be far harder for Russian authorities to actually make the arrest here in the States than it would be for the FBI to come after. Us. Don't rob the gas station next door to your house. Yeah. It's like That's... the old West whenever, you know, the outlaws could just go to the next state over and they're like, <laughs> oh, I'm wanted in Texas, but I'm not in Oklahoma or whatever. You know, it's kind of like that. It's crazy. 
But with Starlink internet, for example, you could be sitting in a boat on a deserted island somewhere hacking everyone in the world. And the only thing that they know about you is that you are within this 500-mile radius. <laughs> yeah, so what are you going to do about that? Right. Wow. Yeah. So that, that's why, like, everyone has this dream of being uh, Liam Neeson and going out and I'm going to get you, I'm going to get revenge and hear all I, these people say I have a particular stuff, right? set of skills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I just roll my eyes at them like, you have no idea how any of this works and that's not going to happen, all right? So the best thing you can do is protect yourself. Like a lot of people, when I come in to go, so if someone gets ransomware, I'm oftentimes the first call that they're making, right? Even most of the time when they've never been, never worked with me. So they call me up, they see me on a podcast like this, or they see my book and stuff. And I've been trying to tell them they need a cyber assessment for decades. And they're just like, nah, I don't need that. And then all of a sudden, actually, I might need it, right? The first thing they're like, all right, can you go get this guy for me? I'm like, no, that's not what I do. I will protect you. I will get you protect. You know, I I'll get this all up. I go over the FBI if you want to. And they're like, well, someone if we just get these guys, they're like, you can't get them. They're ghosts. What are you gonna do? They create burner accounts and burner emails, and they're hacking you from hack systems that they're gonna destroy as soon as they're done hacking you. Like they, yeah. There, there's not. I would almost say there's literally nothing that our government could do. That would actually stop this. Now they can go ahead and try putting out the fires here and there, but there's such a small effect that they're going to have. And something Starlink is going to do is right now 50% of the world is online. What that means is that 50% of the world is not online, right? Mm -hmm. The poorest people in the poorest countries are going to gain access to internet. And the fastest way that they can go ahead and make money is to hack rich Americans. With the average salary worldwide, $2 a day, all they need to do is work for a year, find a $1,000 target, and they have made over two years of income for themselves. Wow. I know how they're going to get you. They're going to be a fake DoorDash. (laughs) 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 They're just going to, hey, get DoorDash Plus and save money. Right. How many coffees will you not? Super Dash. Oh shit! They stole my five dollar coffee again. And on that note, with the advent of AI, now all of a sudden people with broken English. So I used to get emails all the time, like "I speak good right. English, please send me cash," right? And we're like, "Ah, oh, that's not American." You can copy and paste that into ChatGPT, and it will give you an email, just like Midwestern dialect or small town talk or corporate or. They get, yeah. The AI can do the re- research to find out the type of person that they're attacking and make it so that way the email sounds like it would be someone for that individual, even with no knowledge of local uh, linguistics. You can do it as any language you want. Yeah, I heard uh, SpongeBob sing Kiss by a Rose by Seal. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, you were telling me about that yesterday. <laughs> he was like, hey, the guys are going to talk about AI. I was like, man, I heard all these songs, Mr. Krabs and – SpongeBob and Squidward singing all these popular songs. Mm-hmm. I was, that's what I know about AI. Currently. It's it's pretty fascinating <laughs> stuff. So, at what point does AI become a threat to cybersecurity, and what like can people use AI to try to, you know, gain access to your personal information? And if so, how is anyone going to stop that? Well, absolutely. In Texas last year, we had the first instance where 
a grandmother got a call from her grandson saying, I'm in jail and I need $5,000 for a lawyer. Otherwise, they're going to be putting me in. And had a conversation back and forth with uh, the grandmother in the son's voice. Hackers went online, took three seconds of his voice, and also were perfectly able to emulate his pitch, tone, and then made a phone call to the grandmother with text transcription and was able to get it so that way they could type in or have AI create the chat. So that way, it, the grandmother thought she was talking to her grandson. It wasn't a text, wasn't an email, wasn't anything like that, and it was, was given the, the information on how to pay it. Uh-huh. Wow. My grandma would have said he could stay there. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you are already seeing this, and uh, it is going to – and in the cybersecurity world, we talk a lot about that because normally up until the advent of AI and those type of systems – our first uh, response was, if something looks fishy, call the person. Yeah. Well, what do we do now that calls aren't even valid? Well, I mean, that goes back to my story about how uh, we changed Alaria's account number and stuff on her direct deposit. I mean, if the person who we called was using AI to verify that, or even like the check fraud thing. So what people do is uh, they, they basically take a copy of your check, and then they'll put, they'll have checks printed with your account number and routing number, like your, you know, name, logo, all of that kind of stuff. And they'll change the phone number on it, right? So oh. it's a legit check that was produced by someone who makes checks, and it just has a different phone number. And so when the people at the liquor store that are cashing the check call to verify it, they're calling the person that's on there. So that could even go a step further, and they could steal my voice or someone's voice from here. All they have to do is call us. Right, they right. just call the office. Or watch all hundreds of hours of the podcast. That's right. Or we're just giving them all the content they need right now. All right. But I mean, I'm unplugging could, everything and mute from right. here on out. That's it. But you oh. see what I'm saying? Like you could even emulate people's voice in like the business setting to verify transactions. My bank calls me all the time to verify an ACH. Right. Anytime I want to wire, someone picks up the phone and they calls and says, if "Hey, I want to verify." Your bank. Right. So now, like, how do they know that they're talking to me when they verify? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Nothing is safe. Put your money in the mason jars and hide. <laughs> Yesterday, OpenAI, which is uh, the maker of ChatGPT, launched a text-to-video program. So if you go to Google right now for Sorrel, S-O-R-A, you can create one minute of HD video that you cannot tell was, a vid- what was AI-generated. It looks 100% real, like real human uh, Hollywood-grade video, all off text prompts. So you start, yeah, you start looking at this type of stuff, and you realize that you can do a web webinar with someone, and I might not be a real person. I could literally be an AI giving this webinar, and that's the type of future we're moving into. That this stuff is just mind blowing, and it's also why it's very important to have a security partner who is staying up on top of all this stuff. You know, if, if your existing IT guy isn't staying up on, well, what is AI doing? What is cybersecurity doing? What are the hackers doing? They're protecting you like it was 10 years ago, which yeah, 10 years ago, they sure. might have been acceptable protection. But in a world where AI and cybersecurity attacks are advancing monthly, like we have a monthly web or a monthly workshop for AI implementation. Every month I'm like, boy, we almost gotta do this weekly because the advances we're seeing in this type of stuff and new tools that are out that last month would have been impossible to even foresee. And now all of a sudden it's real. 
right. you look at the course year over year, the improvement. So, so Zach and I are sitting here watching some videos of your uh, Sora thing that you're talking about. Yeah. We just went and put it in Google, and it pulled up a news story that had several clips in there, and that is madness. It is. It's mind blowing. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's like somewhat. That's like legit Hollywood CGI kind of stuff. Right. It looks. I mean, in fact, there was some of it where it looked like drone footage flying around like a lighthouse or something. And, I mean, there was waves crashing on the side of it and all of this. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And if you look at where that technology was a year ago or two years ago, I, I made a prediction last year with some of my friends that within two to three – I said back then it was five years. I think I'm, uh, I'm taking a year or two off of that. But you will have Netflix accounts or Netflix-style services that – give you videos that are 100% created uniquely for you. And you just tell them what you want to see. Yeah, you, and it learns the type of stuff that you like. And if a movie go, or TV show goes away you don't like, you rewind it and say, I didn't like that this happened. It also just moves forward in the way that you like. So actually, it's funny. Somebody was telling me the other day that Netflix now has movies that you, ch you make choices while the movie is happening. So those are still for the general, you know, they have a couple of general paths, right? Right, right. So there's to be procedurally generated movies yeah. and videos based off mm -hmm. what the stuff that you specifically like. Well, you know, that happens all the time. And like, that's the big thing in the video game world now is like the environment that you're in is all procedurally generated. So if two people play the game, and, you know, you both go to the same location, the environment is different or like a planet will be different or whatever, because it's just procedurally generated in a video game. Yep. So. And if you look at another video you can look at that came out yesterday, it's why OpenAI put this one out is before yesterday morning, Google showed Gemini 1.5 and it allows mm -hmm. up to 1 million tokens of custom content uh, for its custom knowledge base. That's the equivalent to about 100,000 lines of code or about 3,000 pages, but it was showing software dev being done where you just tell it what you want in this uh, 3D model, and it builds a piece of software that edits the 3D model in the way that you want it. Right. I'm, I'm not going to lie. That would be pretty cool to, like, go to, you know, whatever the version of – the AI version of Netflix and be like, hey, make me a movie where John Wick is trying to kill Batman – and you know, it just like plays the movie for you. That well, would be John Wick wants to kill his puppy instead of save it. Right, right. Yeah, that would be wild. But his puppy's a dinosaur. Yeah. No, <laughs> this is the future you're moving into. I mean, uh, our kids. The idea that now there's a lot of concern with what's going to happen to all the people in Hollywood, right? The truth is, they're, really. they're <laughs> right. Who cares? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like you know, jobs. I mean, acting is a job. I 100% believe that's a talent, right, and a skill, yeah. and so I'm not trying to take away from any of that. So, but well, something I'd put it to is like running a canal used to be a skill. Running an elevator a hundred years ago was a skill, right? A yeah. blacksmither was a highly skilled individual, but mm -hmm. society moved to the point where we don't need that skill per se. I'm playing a bagpipe. I can't play a bagpipe, right? That's a highly talented individual, and the fact that it isn't a marketable skill anymore doesn't make it any less talented. It's just something the marketplace as a whole doesn't need. All right, it's hard to make a living as a bagpipe player. Yeah.
there you but go. I think we can look at these advances that these advances are happening and these people need help pivoting to new careers, but we're not going to stop it. The U.S. could say AI is illegal 100% of the time. All of a sudden, they're going to start VPNing into Russia, China, and using the AIs over there because they're not going to stop. Right. These are technologies. You, at no time in all of history has any culture succeeded by avoiding technology. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, you know, wasn't that like China's downfall for 500 years or something like that? They wouldn't let no. any of the technology from any other country in. And yeah. and in the 1400s, they were they should have been the world power that they had the largest uh, ship, they had the largest military. They they would have they would have decimated Great Britain, but they retreated right. back to their country and stopped uh, exploring. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> So that that's a pretty fascinating story about China, how they started like in the 80s or something. You know, people were like walking around barefooted. And uh, I saw a documentary and they were like, man, if you had a bicycle in town, like you were rich. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've gone from that in 40 years to being what they are today. It's pretty fascinating. But Yeah. And right now, America has the leading AI companies in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. We have OpenAI. We have Google. We have Facebook Meta which uh, those are the ones that are really competing. But China, Russia, Iran, they're not far behind. Russia is deploying uh, drones that have machine learning on that auto-target Ukrainian vehicles right now. So therefore, there's no man in the middle needed. And so when you look at the progression of all this, there's open source models that are normally only six months behind these amazing models we're seeing from these uh, companies like OpenAI and Google, Gemini, and, and others. That's crazy. So AI is here to stay. Uh, we didn't need to deviate uh, our cybersecurity under my – I can geek out about AI all day long, so that might be another yeah. uh, another show we could do. All right, sounds good. So right now, Russia is deploying the Terminators, basically yeah, is what's happening. Yeah, that's worthless, though. Uh-huh. Actually, they're basically a tank that they put a really – I mean, it's a, it looks cool. It really does, but, I mean, it. Uh, it, it's not – Oh wait, is that a real thing? I was talking about the movie. No, oh sorry, yeah, no, they have a tank called the Terminator. So it's a it's on a T seventy two that they have put on top of it dual. It's almost like aircraft uh, anti aircraft guns on it and missiles. Yeah, and it drives around as an anti personnel carrier to support the tanks, but it gets blown up all the time. It right. would have been great twenty years ago. It against a javelin, it has no chance. Right, and again. Honestly, even against little teeny PV, these drones that are costing the one to two thousand dollars a piece that they just strap yeah. an artillery shell to, the thing can't do anything to it. Well, I saw I saw the other day that like tanks are dead, right? So they're yeah, they're pretty much a technology that just needs to or is fading away. They don't really have a place in the battlefield anymore and all that. Well, so. no. If you had the choice between one Abram tank or ten thousand drones, which do you think is going to do more damage? Uh, the ten thousand drones for sure. Yeah. Is that a monetary comparison? Is that yeah, a- monetary yeah. comparison. Wow, that's crazy. Yes, that's crazy. One tank or ten thousand drones? Huh. Uh, taking the drone. Yeah, Just yeah, so. for sure. So there, there's a story out out there about mobility how, uh, alone. You know, just the mobility alone. A tank. How long does it take a tank to turn around? You know, like yeah. just something. Right. Navigate a small passageway right well and the fact that it's a giant thing moving around like so uh, there's a story out there you might you might enjoy this that um 
prior to We lost you again. Why can why can I hear y'all and y'all can't hear us? Can you hear me now? Yep, I hear you now. Okay, so the story was prior to using the atomic bombs in World War II, the US tested strapping napalm to bats. And so they would dump the bats out of an airplane, like, you know, as the sun was rising. So the bats would all go find a dark place to hide. And then they would remotely detonate napalm that was attached to 4,000 bats. And they use bats because they can carry, you know, like five times their body weight or something like that can be strapped to them. But that was a. And they go and hide underneath uh, the wood houses of the Japanese. That's right. So So they go go in all spots in the houses. And when it ignited, you'd be able to take out a whole town. Yep. Yep, that's right. So they go in all the buildings and all the little nooks and crannies and all that stuff, and then boom. So that's kind of like the drones. Like, that's the modern-day yeah. equivalent of that, I think. But anyways, man, well, I, I appreciate it. Uh, we probably need to wrap up and get on to doing something else here. But it's been awesome, and, yeah, I think we definitely could, like, sit and nerd out on AI for an hour or two, so. Yeah, we almost did today. Schedule right. with Aaron, and I'll be here. All right, sounds good. Well, thanks for coming. Any uh, any listeners out there who are still here after the marathon? I appreciate you hanging around with us. And uh, well, cool, Rod, Aaron of Cooley Tech. Thank you guys for joining us on Powerhouse Fin Show, man. Oh, hey, so I guess you guys can do like that. Uh, your cybersecurity assessment stuff is all done remotely, right? So would you? Oh, yeah. Uh, do y'all work like across the U.S.? Is the whole country yep. kind of your client base? Yep, I have yes, a hotel so. stay in every state in the continent of the United States. Well, there we go. And so, so like, yeah, right, I actually spent the night in a hotel. Yeah. Can you guys be contacted at www.cooley.tech? Is that right? That is correct. Or they call yeah. our number at 608-783-8324. We have a, a live answer guarantee from 5 to 5, where uh, 99% of all of our calls are answered by a live person and if you leave a voicemail, we don't require within 29 minutes. You get $100 cash in the policy. Cool. And so that's 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central, Central Standard, Standard Time. Time. Yeah. All right. So anybody who's listening, if you want them to run a cybersecurity assessment, if you got concerns about your setup after listening to this, as we do, then uh, give them a shout, and hopefully they can get you squared away. Cool. Thanks again, guys, for joining us. Appreciate it. All right, Thanks, thank guys. You. Thank you. Bye. We'll see you. Bye.